was given to one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying, He ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we just sang, um, and maybe I sang a little too loud, How Great Thou Art. Um, can't sing that too loud, Lord, it is true. And uh, Lord, we're just grateful that we get to come and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with love in our heart for you, towards you, and on behalf of the others. Thank you for worship, that uh, you draw us to worship every Sunday, and we get to join with friends and brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. It just feels like such a tr privilege for us, Lord. Um, thank you for your grace. And uh, Lord, I want to pray for um, Steve Carlson as he's uh, returned back um, to the great state of Northern California um, as he's returning to work. And Lord, this is just a huge miracle that he has been cleared and fully back to work this quickly. Um, Lord, I'm just so grateful for what you've done in Steve's life that um, he went from such a, a huge hemorrhage in his brain that the doctors were really concerned to, in no time, he's on his feet and, and he's just recovered. And Lord, that's, that's because you stirred the saints to pray. You asked us to pray for him. You called us to pray for him and then you healed him. So thank you for his return, and I pray that you would bless his, uh, his time at school this year, that uh, it would be a blessing to him and the students, and Lord, that he would have a, a chance to just tell people about what you've done for him in such a miraculous way. Uh, thank you for your grace, Lord. And Father, we want to pray for Juliana on her uh, trip to Mexico, a mission trip to Mexico. Uh, Lord, would you bless her time there as she uh, teaches um, some of the younger uh, ladies and in in uh, the orphanage, or I forget exactly the details, but Lord, you know them all, and so I'm trusting you to just bless what she's doing, and uh, may that be a great uh, gospel trip for her, but also I, I pray that she would have a chance to really connect with some people and share uh, the hope that she has in Christ as well. And Father, lastly, I want to pray for the uh, Kempels who aren't able to join us this morning. Uh, Lord, would you uh, give Bob um, strength and stability uh, I pray that uh, Judy is able to make some clear decisions as far as if he needs to be seen or if he's okay to recover. Uh, but Lord, I just, I'm so thankful for the, the Kempels and I pray that you would bless uh, Bob with uh, healing and strength. Um, I know he would be happy to go home and be with you, but Lord, I'm kind of greedy and I'd like him to stay. Um, so Lord, we trust him to your hands and we ask that you would uh, do what's best and right for the, the Kempels. And now Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that uh, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes and hearts that we come to understand uh, what you have to say this morning. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So um, I'm gonna start with a silly illustration, literally, um, the word silly. So words change meaning in a living language like English 
which is kind of always picking things up. Words can change meaning. The meaning can just kind of shift over time. And I, I, the word silly originally meant blessed. It was from an old English word that meant to be blessed or to be, uh, to be uh, filled with uh, God's goodness and blessing that way. Uh, but people soon began to think that, well, if you were blessed or fortunate, then you were, must be very devout. And so by the 1200s, the word silly came to mean pious or holy. It was describing a devout person. Well, people were thinking, you know, what, what is a holy person like? What are they, what are they you know, what can, makes them holy? What makes them pious? And it was to be righteous. And so the meaning kind of picked up that righteous idea and, and silly became, uh, came to mean noble or righteous or brave or virtuous. Uh, can you imagine calling somebody silly and them going, oh, thank you. Uh, because you were calling them virtuous. And, and a righteous person is also somebody who's innocent. So silly eventually took on the meaning of innocent. It came to mean somebody who was innocent. Um, one of the ideas of somebody who's innocent, sometimes you think of them as, as harmless. You know, they're innocent. They're not going to, you know, be a problem or anything. And so eventually it took on the meaning harmless, too. Uh, if somebody was harmless, they were probably weak and in need of charity. And so by the 13th century, it came to mean somebody who was to be pitied. So if they said a silly person, it wasn't they were goofy. It was, it was somebody who, oh, that poor person, they're so silly. Um, they were to be pitied. But people who are pitied also were thought of as helpless and in need of, or, uh, need of help. And so maybe they're just not very intelligent. And so by 1570, silly was defined as uh, being feeble-minded or lacking in reason. So not just kind of goofy silly, but, um, but somebody who was not very intelligent. Um, and then stupid people, you know, sometimes their behavior is hard to understand. It's, it's strange. And so silly eventually picked up its current meaning, which is goofy, odd, childish, absurd, something along those lines. Isn't that interesting how the word silly could, trans, could go through all of those different meanings? That just is amazing to me because I've never considered silly anything other than, you know, kind of a goofy person. Well, that's what happens with a living language. With, with language, sometimes words change meaning. And what we're going to see this morning is we ask the question, what is an apostle? What we're going to see is the, the word apostle itself has changed meaning. And, and even within the, the confines of the New Testament, we're going to see the meaning change a little bit. And it's not a bad thing. It's okay. It's just if you picked up somebody from the 1200s and said silly to them, and then, you know, they would be thinking it was virtuous or righteous or something, and we're thinking it's a goofball, it wouldn't, wouldn't quite jive, would it? It wouldn't fit together. There would be a lack of understanding. So when we come to the word apostle, we need to be really careful with it and, and kind of understand what the word means. Because I think there's a lot of assumptions within, especially evangelicalism, about what an apostle is. Um, so why bring that up? Why are we doing apostle? Remember last week when we did uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul asked the question, am I not an apostle? And so at the time I said, we're just going to let that hang for a minute because we don't want to define what an apostle is just yet. But this week it seemed right to go ahead and dig into that idea of apostle. So that's what we're doing is we're going to ask, uh, what is an apostle? And so to understand that, we're going to look at three different things. First, the first apostles, then other apostles, and then we'll ask, are there apostles today? So the first apostles, other apostles, apostles today. Um, so the first apostles, the first apostles were 12 men who were called specifically by Jesus. And it's mentioned in all four of the gospels, a um, little different in John, but, but the calling is there. I think the clearest one is from Mark chapter three. It says, he appointed 12 whom he named apostles. So it was Jesus idea to call them apostles so that they might be with him 
and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So by Jesus' definition, what an apostle was, was somebody who was going to be with him. He was going to train them. They were going to live with him for a long time. He was going to train them that he might send them out to preach. So their, their mission as an apostle was to go preach and that he would give them the authority to cast out demons. And, and uh, Matthew says a similar thing. He, he says the same kind of thing. He calls them 12 disciples and he gave them authority. And then he says, the, he, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Um, and he doesn't mention in his list preaching. He, he shows it, he demonstrates it because just after that, Jesus sent the 12 out and he said, go among, uh, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter, enter into no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he calls the 12 and he, he hangs out with them. They, they travel with him. They're with him constantly. And he trains them and he sends them to preach. And so as Jesus is still alive and is still ministering, that is their goal. That's what an apostle was, was called by Jesus, given authority to cast out demons and to preach. Um, that's, what it, that's what it meant. So the first apostles, that's who we're talking about. Now, the list of names, the names of the apostles are listed four times um, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then Luke repeats it again in Acts chapter 1. There's nothing magic about the list. Uh, the only thing really noteworthy is it always ends with, or always starts with Peter and ends with Judas. So Peter being the first, Judas being the last, and then Philip and I think James are in a similar place. But other than that, the names move around quite a bit. There's no holy order to the, the apostles. It was just the names of the people. Um, but that was kind of who they were. There's one question that comes up, though, because Matthew and Mark list a man named Thaddeus as one of the apostles, whereas Luke says that there was Judas, the son of James. And so tradition is held that's the same person um, because Judas kind of picked up a negative association. So maybe he picked up another name because, I mean, the same thing will happen, we'll see with Barnabas. Barnabas was originally Joseph, and then he was renamed Barnabas. So changing a name kind of happens. So there's, there's kind of a set number, set uh, thing of who they were. Um, so after Jesus has uh, died and he's risen again, he appears to the 12 and he commissions them. He gives them the great commission. Uh, Go therefore into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing, teaching, and, and I'm with you to the end of the age. Um, and so they, they now have this mission that they've been trained for while Jesus was with them, that they practice together, that they've walked through together, and now it's going to go out to the world. And so um, what we see them doing is, is on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and the 12 are amongst the disciples and they get up and they go out into the streets and they began to preach. And people are saying, well, they're drunk. That still blows my mind. Drunk people do talk another language, but it's not an intelligible language that you could understand. So why would they think they were drunk if they could understand them? That's, that doesn't make sense. But Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he preaches to them about Jesus Christ. So what he did as an apostle is he steps up under the power of the Holy Spirit and he begins to preach. And so as he's preached, when he's, when he's nearing the end of his sermon, uh, Luke tells us, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And so that's the conviction of the preaching of the gospel has come upon them. This is what the apostles did. This was their primary mission, was to go out and preach. 
And they also rule in the church. What we see them doing is as they're gathering the church, they have a certain authority and a certain uh, a place of, of um, authority in the church. And so one of the primary places you think of is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The disciples began to sell property and bring money and lay it at the feet of the apostles. And this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they sold some property. And then they lied about how much they sold it for and gave money to the apostles saying, hey, we gave you everything, but they were holding money back. And so Peter addresses them, and with authority, he says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And they drop dead at his feet. That's authority. <laughs> That's a pretty significant authority. Um, and then by Acts 6, what you see is kind of a combination of the, the preaching and the authority coming together. In Acts chapter 6, this, this dispute came up because the Hebrew-speaking widows were being fed more or first or being given priority over the Greek-speaking widows. Now, they were probably still Hebrews. They were probably still uh, um, uh, Jews that were there, but there was this division because of the language that was spoken. And so they bring this to the apostles because the apostles are the, who are running the church at this point. It's so small and so new. It's the apostles doing it. And so they bring this up to him, and, he, and, and Peter says, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word uh, of God, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. So this is what the apostles were worried about is there are needs within the body. They don't discount that, but they said, we can't do it all, and so pick seven people. So do you see what they do? Is they're focusing on prayer and preaching. That's what they feel their goal is. That's what they're called to do. And so they tell the congregation, now you pick out seven people to take care of this issue. You guys deal with it. So they hand off that to the church. Um, one of the more startling things that the apostles can do is impart the Spirit. So this is in uh, Acts chapter 8. Philip has gone into Samaria and he's preached the gospel. And the Samaritans are believing, and this is something brand new. So the apostles send some people down to check it out. And then in verse 17, it says, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they, they saw that. Now when Simon had seen, uh, this is not Simon Peter, but Simon Magnus, the magician, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So why was it that other people would just receive the Spirit, but these guys didn't, and the apostles had to come and lay hands on them? Well, it's not because they had to do that to everybody. And if, you, they, if an apostle hasn't laid their hands on you, you haven't received the Spirit. We see it plenty of times in the book of Acts where the Spirit just comes because he's going to, and he just descends on somebody. What I think is going on here is this is the gospel moving out from Jerusalem moving out from Judea, and now it's moving into the Samaritan territory. And the Samaritans were not okay as far as the Jews were concerned. They were compromised. They had a similar but different religion. It would be like us and Mormons. We use the same language. We talk about the same thing, but we, we have some really significant differences. So if somebody went to a Mormon stake and preached the gospel, we would be like a little, what's going on there? What, what's happening? Well, the apostles were, were, had to check this out. So the Holy Spirit didn't come until they came and laid their hands on them so that they could see the Samaritans have received the Spirit as well. This is the, the gospel breaking out from Judaism, spreading beyond those borders. And so I think that's why they had to come and lay their hands on them. Um, so Simon Magnus wants to buy that, that uh, ability, and of course it didn't go well for him. Um, 
Peter kind of curses him and he says, please pray that that doesn't come upon me. So here's what's going on. The picture, I think, if we kind of gather this together is Jesus comes and he has disciples following him, but he calls 12 especially and he sets them aside. He says, you guys come and be with me. And they travel with him and he, sp he spends more time with them than he does with the crowd. And especially with three of them, Peter, James, and John, he spends a lot of time with those guys. These are kind of the core of what's going to be the church. These are the guys that are going to be charged with going out and starting to spread the church around the globe. And so Jesus focuses on them particularly. So when he ascends into heaven, he's no longer on earth. He can't be leading the church. It's these guys. So they have, since there's hardly any believers now, most of the world doesn't know who Jesus is. You have this core group of 12. Actually, there were disciples with them, but these are the leaders of that group who are going to be charged with spreading the gospel. So they have to have more authority. They can't have somebody who just heard Jesus' name become a, uh, the leader of the church. They don't know anything yet. So they've been trained. They've been equipped. They, they receive the Holy Spirit. They are the ones who are going to primarily be the ones out there working. So they have a special place within church history. They'll be the ones who write the scriptures or have people um, associated with them write the scriptures. Uh, they're going to be the ones who are going to make proclamations that aren't based on Scripture because it hasn't been written yet. They're going to have this kind of authority. They are what will be called later on as the, the foundation of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone, but the prophets and the apostles are, are the foundation. They're what the church is built on. Um, and so that's who we're talking about, these 12. And so what happened? Well, they went and did what Jesus told them. They went and made disciples of the nations. Because of what they did, the, the church spread. It spread not only through Judea and Jerusalem, it spread to the ends of the world. Um, it, it went out. So this is why we have apostles. Why did Jesus have apostles? To start his church, to get it moving, to have some authority, some structure, somebody who would say, this is what it, Christianity is, this is what it's not. And so they had that special authority. And they're referred to as the 12. These are a unique group of people. And it's, and it's always referred to the 12. So what a lot of people think of when you say apostle is they think the 12. I recently saw somebody comment on that on Twitter. They, somebody said something about apostles, and somebody said, no, there are, there are no more after the 12. Well, let's take a look at that. Is that true? Were there other apostles? Well, actually, yes, there were other apostles. And here's some examples. Acts 14, this is when Paul and Barnabas go to, I think it was Derb, and they preach the gospel, and the, the priest of Zeus is going to come out and offer a sacrifice to them because they assume it's Zeus and, and Mercury in, have become in human form. Um, and it's, what it says in verse 14 is, But when the, apostles, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. The apostles, Paul and Barnabas. So we have the twelve, and now we have Paul and Barnabas as well and they're called apostles. So there are more than the 12. Um, there's another one, Galatians 1, but I saw no, none of the other apostles, except James, who's one of the apostles, um, the Lord's brother. So James is in some, court, some sort of category called an apostle, but he's there probably because he's the Lord's brother and, and a believer now. He's, he's got some stature in the church, but he's referred to as one of the apostles. Then I found two that were kind of surprising because modern translations don't translate the word as apostle. So one of them is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 
speaking of Titus, for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Messengers is actually apostles, the same word. So Titus and these brothers are apostles of the church. Um, another one is Philippians 2.5. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger or apostle and minister to my need. So now we've got a bigger group of people who are called or referred to as apostles. Beyond the 12, there are others. There's, a, there's a, another case that's possible. It's a disputed translation, so let me just kind of hit it really quick. Uh, Romans 16, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So Andronicus and Junia, apparently a husband and wife team. Junia is a, a feminine name. And so some of the way this gets translated, it, because literally what it says is uh, Andronicus and Junia, who are known or noteworthy or well-known, and then it's in, with, or by the apostles. So it gets translated in different ways. For example, the King James translates it, who are of note among the apostles. So they're, they're one of the apostles, but these are more noteworthy is the idea. The ESV is known to the apostles. The New American Standard says, who are outstanding in the view of the apostles. So there, there's different ways to handle that. It could be that they were outstanding amongst the apostles. In other words, they were, they were of the group called apostles. They were really noteworthy ones. So it's possible, um, disputed, so let's just press on. Um, but there, what you see is there are more, more folks who are called apostle than just the 12. So it means something more than what it meant with the 12 because they're still a unique group. Who are these other folks? Well, James, James had standing in the church. He was a pretty important guy. When they met it in Jerusalem, they had the Council of Jerusalem to decide if, if uh, Gentiles had to be circumcised. It was James who stood up at the end. After Peter made his appeal, James stood up and said, okay, here's the ruling. So he was kind of a big deal. When, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he reports to James. So James, at least within the Jerusalem church, was kind of a big deal. And that probably came from his association to Jesus. He was Jesus' brother. So maybe that carried a little bit more clout with him. Um, that's, that's one of the theories. Uh, Barnabas, he never seemed to have any of this kind of authority. He was simply what we would think of as a missionary. He, he went out and he spread the gospel. But he's referred to as an apostle. We just don't see him exercising any, any kind of real authority like that. What about Paul? Here's the big question. This is the, this is the debate is, was Paul an apostle or was he one of the 12? Now, we immediately run into the problem of the 12 because what happened is after Judas committed suicide in Acts chapter 1, Peter and the apostles are together. Peter reads the scripture and he cites a couple of Psalms. He says, hey, we've got to replace Judas. Let someone else take his office. And so what they did is they presented two people and they, they said, Lord, choose the one that you want. And they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. And so Matthias became the 13th or the 12th apostle. And that's all we ever hear about Matthias. He's gone. We never hear another word about him. So the question is, was that a legitimate way to select an apostle? Was that the right way to do it? Why did they cast lots? Well, this is kind of an odd time in church history. Jesus has died, he's risen, he's ascended into heaven. 
The Holy Spirit has not come upon the apostles yet. So they're in this kind of gap between the two. So the, the teacher, the master is gone and the Holy Spirit hasn't come. And so casting lots was an old covenant way of making decisions. That was the Urim and the Fumim were uh, uh, something in the breastplate of the, the priest and they would cast that and somehow it would tell them things, but it was yes or no. So that's, that's the idea is Matthias was chosen by Lot. Was that a legitimate new covenant way of doing it? I don't know. <laughs> There's not much said about it. We can, we can, by the way, legitimately say sometimes when we come to scripture, I don't know. That, that's a legitimate hermeneutic. You can, you can do it that way. But was Paul one of the 12? Well, there's something different about Paul than the other apostles. Um, this, again, comes from uh, the beginning of chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least to you I am. You are the seal of my apostleship, he says. So he insists that he's an apostle. But is he one of the 12? That's the question. What did the 12 do? They, they were a foundation. They taught. They preached. They had authority. They could lay hands on people and grant them the Holy Spirit. And when you look at Paul, what you see Paul doing is all of those things. He preaches. He, was, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was personally called by Jesus and told, this is what you're going to do. He, so he goes and he preaches. He rules the church. Read the epistles. He's telling the church what they should do, especially like we're looking at 1 Corinthians. This man should be put out of the church. Do this. Don't do that. This is how you should celebrate the Lord's Supper. Don't do it in an unworthy fashion. Those kinds of things. So Paul is ruling the church. And he imparted the Spirit. He came across some disciples who hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so he said, well, what were you baptized into? And they said, the baptism of John. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And their answer was, we hadn't received, we hadn't heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul immediately baptizes them, lays hands on them, and bam, they are now full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descends on them. So Paul has a lot of the same characteristics as the 12. Um, but they already have the 12. Didn't Matthias get that role? Didn't, didn't that happen? Doesn't, so Paul doesn't fit? Well, don't get too picky about the 12. If you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, that is really a complicated one. When, when it first happens, when, when um, Joseph, I mean, uh, Jacob uh, blesses the tribes, there are the 12. But he also took from Joseph Manasseh and Ephraim and said, they're mine. And so when you look at lists of the 12 tribes, sometimes Joseph is in, sometimes he's out. Sometimes Ephraim and Manasseh are in, and so the 12 tribes are 13 tribes. And then what's really confusing is when you get to Revelation chapter 7, Joseph is in, but Dan is out. Because we got to keep 12. So I think when we say the 12, it's not the number 12. I think it is a specific office, a position. So Paul could be one of the 12, be on that level of authority, and just simply not be a number 12. Um, so my take is, yeah, that's what happened, is, is Paul was one of the 12. He had a special place, a special authority, because Jesus himself called him. Have I not seen the Lord? He, he actually met Jesus. And when he talks about his gospel in, in Galatians, he says, this is a gospel I wasn't taught by people. I received this by revelation from the Lord. So when he's talking about his, his gospel, his doctrine that he teaches, he received that directly from Jesus, just like the 12 did when they were traveling with him. So I would argue that, that Paul could be counted as one of the 12. He is in that kind of authority level. Um, and so 
this is what's going to happen. So Paul is, is probably on the 12. James is an apostle, but his authority probably comes from being associated with the Lord. Barnabas was an apostle engaged in spreading the gospel. Andronicus and Junia appear to be apostles. We don't know much about them. The other guys are apostles. And for like Titus, he sent Titus to Crete to set things in order. So again, apostle is somebody who is sent, is sent out. Um, so what we wind up with is that there, there could be the 12, and then there could be a larger group called apostles. And, and that might be a bigger group that's there. That's why we picked Ephesians 4 to read from this morning. So go back and look what he says. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. What, what Paul does there is he cites Psalm 80, or 68, but what he does with Psalm 68 is he doesn't cite it, he interprets it. Because listen to what Psalm 68 says. He says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts from among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So Paul's not directly quoting it. He's not just copying and pasting. He's actually interpreting it. And so who does, does this person he's addressing, do they give gifts or do they receive gifts? And the way I think you have to put that together is, yes, exactly. Because what he's talking about is he, he leads a host captive in his train. That is Jesus going out and bringing people in from the nations. He's bringing them in. That's that captive host. And he gives gifts. But he receives gifts. He receives these people in as gifts, and then he gifts them with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gifts them with things like preaching and teaching and healing and ministry and mercy and all of these different things. So that's what I think Paul is doing here with Psalm 68 is he's, he's, he's interpreting it for us and saying, this is how he gives gifts to men. This is how he receives gifts from men is he receives their, their, um, their um, worship, their praise. He brings them in, and then he gives them his gifts to the church. He turns that income right back into uh, sending them back out. So these rebellious people are led captive, and they're turned into gifts. So that's, that's what he starts with. What are these gifts then? What are the gifts that he does? Well, verse 11 says, and he gave the apostles... So he gives gifts to men. Here's the gifts. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That's the gifts that he gives. Apostles are a gift to the church. That's what they're supposed to be. That's what they do is they are a gift to the church. Now it says the prophets, and I'm going to chicken out and not touch it until we get to it later in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll, we'll have to deal with that later. We're focusing on apostles. How's that for dodging a bullet? Not bad, huh? Um, he gives evangelists, shepherds, or the other word is pastors and teachers to the church. So as he's giving these spiritual gifts to people, they are a blessing. They are to the church. To do what? Well, he goes on, he says, they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So why do we have apostles? Why do we have the 12? Why do we have other apostles? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's why he's given these apostles. That's what an apostle is. So when you look to Pete or Paul and he says, am I not an apostle? What should be ringing in your ears is, yes, you are, because you are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You are building up the body of Christ. You are making the body of Christ strong enough to stand and build up on its own. That's his goal and that's his ministry. So that's what we want when we're looking for apostles. That's what an apostle is, is they're a gift to the church. 
So that was the original 12. That was for New Testament folks who were called apostles. What about apostles for today? Are there apostles today? Is that a legitimate term to be used today? Well, is it silly, as in blessed, holy, righteous, or is it silly, as in goofy? Depends, right? So when we ask, are there apostles, is that silly or is that silly? Well, it's a little complicated um, because the word apostles has taken on a different meaning. And because in the church, we tend to root it only in the 12, we're hesitant sometimes to go, well, there are other apostles. There's a possibility that there could be other apostles. Um, so when we say, are there apostles today? We have to say, depends. What do you mean by the word? If you mean somebody with the authority of the 12, someone who can speak that authoritatively to the church, somebody you need to be afraid of because they could slay you by saying you lied to the Holy Spirit. No, that can't be. Why? Because the qualifications were they had to walk with Jesus. They had to have been with Jesus. And, and nobody alive today fits that category, guaranteed. It can't happen. So if you're, if you're saying the 12, no, there can never be another one of the 12 or 13 if we're going to count Paul. That is impossible. It, so if that's what you mean by apostle, when you use that word, no, can't happen. But what we saw from the New Testament is there are other people called apostles. Could somebody in that category be an apostle today? Is that word usable? Well, Paul was a unique case, right? We, we argued that he might be one of the 12. James had that authority because he was the Lord's brother. Anybody here the Lord's brother? Physically, nope, okay, then you're not, we're not going to use James as a, uh, um, as a template. What about Barnabas, Titus, Epaphroditus, and the others? Well, maybe that's what an apostle is for us today. What did they do? We don't know much about um, some of them, but like Titus, Barnabas went out preaching the gospel. He was a missionary to all over the place. Titus, Paul sent him to, Corinth, uh, to Crete on purpose to do something to establish and to strengthen the church. Epaphrodites was one of them, and he came and he ministered to Paul. Um, the others, the other brothers, were, were ministering like that. So if we think of apostle in that term, it could be used. But what we do today is because the words have changed, meaning is we tend to look at those people and we say they're, they're um, missionaries. They're the folks that we sent. Apostle means sent. Uh, it originally was a military term for an armada or a ship or a ship waiting to go, and it was very seldom used. Um, it came to have that idea of an emissary, somebody who's sent only in the New Testament. That's where that use really took off. So it, it shifted meaning. If we're talking in terms of sending someone, we're going to dispatch someone to do something, then we could say that they were an apostle. Um, just as an aside, the term for that person before the New Testament was angelos, angel, was a messenger. So in the New Testament, it became the apostles, probably because they were avoiding the term angel because of confusion with uh, angelic beings, but yeah. So if we're talking apostles in those terms, think of an apostle or a missionary, let's use the, the term we're more familiar with, a missionary going into a new area where the gospel hasn't gone before, and they preach the gospel and they get a couple of converts. Who is the most mature Christian in that area? The missionary. They're going to have a special place within that. They're going to have a special authority. They're going to be the ones who can help people understand the scripture. They'll be the ones who help people understand what it means to live with Christ in this environment, those kinds of things. So inherently, they're just going to have more authority there. 
just because they will, but it doesn't stay that way. They're, they're not one of the 12. Eventually, if they've done it right, the church will rise up and will, will grow in Christ, and eventually that missionary can then say, I can leave this church, or I can just retire and stay here. I don't have to be in charge anymore. Um, so, so that's the blessing. That's the hope that we have. And that is, doesn't that fit with the example for the uh, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the church? Exactly what that is. Um, so today, when you hear apostles, um, it's used often in Pentecostal circles. Pentecostal churches will talk about apostles or they'll call themselves bishops or something like that. As I was researching that, what I found is what that generally means is pastor. It's just a different term for it. Or it might be lead pastor is called an apostle or a lead pastor is called a bishop. That's kind of the, the example that I've seen um, in that. And, and so it's not a bad term. I don't think it's, it's not a term I would be comfortable with. Don't anybody call me apostle. <laughs> we'll have words. Um, but, you know, if that's the tradition, if that's what they're going to say, that, I guess that's okay. You know, it's their tradition. Um, it's just in our, our tradition, we get a little twitchy because we think the 12 and, and I don't want to go there. Uh, I don't want to be that. But if they're there to build up the church and to equip the saints, that's not a bad thing. That's okay. Uh, the warning, though, comes is that there were false apostles. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They weren't disguising themselves as one of the twelve. They were trying to be super apostles, addition to that or something. And they were coming in and they were doubting Paul's gifts and his abilities because he doesn't speak as well as them or, or those kinds of things. So there, were, there are false apostles, and there are today false apostles who will stand up and say that they they're, have the authority to say these things. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, these are the, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. So if you're really an apostle, there are signs that will attend to that. Unfortunately, Paul doesn't list them. Well, he does. He says signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, what does that mean? Um, in, in modern terms, we think signs and wonders and mighty works means healings and, and you know that kind of stuff. It's not clear from this what it meant. But those are the signs of a true apostle. And then uh, another first century document called the Didache, the Teaching of the Twelve, uh, it says, if an apostle or a prophet comes and stays with you, if they stay with you more than three days, they're a false prophet. That's, you know, that's helpful. If they stay more than three days, um, but you're, you're supposed to receive them, and then you, know, you test them. So I think that the idea here is Paul was recognizing there were false apostles. So just because somebody says their, their title is apostle doesn't make them false. We need to take a look and say, what's going on here? Are they true apostles? What are they doing? What are they claiming for this apostle, apostolic authority? And like I said, within uh, Pentecostalism largely, it, it's just a pastor. And so we wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, there is a, another group that's dangerous, I think, uh, called the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, if you ask somebody, are you a member of the New Apostolic Reformation, they will say they're not because it doesn't exist, but it's a thing. Um, started in the 1980s, C. Peter Wagner, he wrote a lot on church planting and church growth and this kind of stuff, and he used the term New Apostolic Reformation. What this is, is now, today, it's become a very political movement. And so you have people who announce that they are apostles, and therefore they have the authority to say these things, and they can, they can make these bold proclamations, and they have prophets who will stand up and prophesy things. The problem with the um, New Apostolic Reformation is, uh, first of all, they moved in a very political direction. They are really super political. 
the politics don't really matter to me, the, the theology does. One of the things that happened was a group of their prophets stood up and announced that President Trump would win by a landslide in 2020. They prophesied this, they, they recorded it, they put it all over the place. President Trump did not win by a landslide in 2020. By normal biblical standards, you would look at this person and say, your prophecy did not come true, you are not a prophet, stop talking. What they did was they said, uh, that's not true. He did win by a landslide. Spiritually speaking, Trump is president because that's what God sees. Excuse me, how can we ever check to see if you say anything wrong if anything you say that's wrong is just spiritual? So that's the kind of danger that's going on. I don't, I don't care about the politics. It's these men are saying that they're prophets and apostles and no one can check them. As a matter of fact, one gentleman, Jeremiah Jones, which for me is a, um, a movie from the 1970s, but this is a minister, and he, after this happened in the 2020 election, Trump didn't win by a landslide, he put a post on Facebook and he said, you guys, we need to rethink this. I prophesied that this was gonna happen and it didn't happen. We need to scale this thing back and we need to check ourselves. That was the appropriate response and he got lambasted. He got beat up on on Facebook by the prophets and the, the new apostolic folks. Because you just don't have enough faith and how can you, you're a false minister. That's the kind of danger that, that an apostle can have is when somebody takes that kind of authority onto themselves. So we do need to test anybody who claims to be an apostle. Hey, I got a better idea. Why don't we just call them missionaries? Be done with it. If they're missionaries, we'll call them missionaries. If they're pastors, we'll call them pastors. And we'll just leave it at that. Isn't that a little clearer? Um, I think so. So Paul, going back to where we started with this, Paul said, am I not an apostle? Don't I have authority to take a wife along with me, a believing wife along with me, like Barnabas and I? Can't we do that because we're apostles? And he says to the Corinthians, I know for you I'm an apostle because you're a sign of my apostleship. You're the seal of my apostleship. In other words, what Paul said was, I came to Corinth and there was not a church. I preached the gospel and God saved you. And now there is a church at Corinth. So if anybody questions whether I'm an apostle, look what I did. He did not come into Corinth and say, the politics of Corinth are corrupt and we need Christian influence in Corinth to get this thing on track. And I am the man to stand up. He didn't. He went in and he strengthened the church. He built the church up. He got to the church to the place where they could stand on their own. And now he's coaching them from the sidelines saying, you guys, you're not dealing with stuff you should and you're acting goofy in places you shouldn't. And he's still coaching them. He's still building up them up and strengthening them. So when it comes to this question of apostleship, that ties directly into what Jesus told the church to do. What's our great commission? Go make disciples. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what the apostleship was for. That's why we were given apostles. That's why apostles function within the church, is we have a mission to do. And it's not politics. And it's not drawing power and authority to myself. And aren't I wonderful? And look how powerful and important I am. It is pointing the other direction, pointing people to Jesus Christ. That's what an apostle should be doing. That's the role. So when Paul says, am I not an apostle? Yes, Paul, you absolutely are. Look at the churches you've started. Look at the direction you've pointed people right to Jesus Christ. That's what apostleship is. So that's what we should be looking for. And, and when we hear these terms, be careful. Just, just be careful. It could be a good one. It could be a bad one. It could be just goofy, silly. It could be silly. I like that. That works because it hits all those different meanings. 
So it could work that way. We just need to be careful with it. So Jesus has given us an apostle because he's given us a commission. And whether we bear that title or not, that's our role. That's our, our job. That's where we're going is to make disciples, to teach them to obey, to baptize them. That's the, that's the goal. That's what it's all about. So is Paul an apostle? Yes, he is. Is Barnabas an apostle? Yes, he is. Are we apostles in, in a very narrowly defined, carefully tooled way? Yeah, sure, because we're pointing people to Jesus. We want to build up the church. That's our goal. And so that's what an apostle is. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you called 12 men to yourself, that you equipped them, that you trained them, that they spent extra time with you. Lord, that on the day of Pentecost, you filled them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you sent them out to proclaim the truth of who you are. Lord, that they would announce that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead physically, bodily, and we have seen him. Lord, thank you for that testimony that we've received in the past. And Lord, though the, the mission continues, though the goal remains, the job titles may have shifted and, and the meaning of certain words may have drifted, but Lord, your goal, your, your commission to us remains the same. Let us go and make disciples. Let us baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us train them to obey all that you've commanded. And so Lord, make that reality the fruit of the, the seed that you planted with the 12 apostles that, that grew into the church that now is beginning to fill the world. Lord, may we not take our eyes off what really is important there. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please.